If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Bottom of the hour, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West now running the GOP in Texas. And we'll take your phone calls. And, of course, you can always write me, briankilmeade.com, and I can get to some of your emails throughout the show. Uh, Today's going to be kind of interesting. You know, I'm kind of into this Mars mission. NASA is going to have a a big briefing on the future of uh, extraterrestrial flight. Because, you know, we got that helicopter on Mars and it's flying around. They're going to provide some video. So that'll be good. We got to do a space segment and hopefully it's sometime this week. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It's paid for by making sure corporate America and the wealthiest 1% just pay their fair share. And I'm not anti-corporate, but it's about time they start paying their fair share. It's about making a choice. Right. Uh, in your dreams. Yep. That's the word from the GOP as Biden's $4 trillion infrastructure and family spending plans is released. If you think they'll vote for the spending palooza while also getting them to sign off on huge tax increases, you heard the president just mention, and pay your fair share, which brings me to the president. Why doesn't he? His tax returns reveal he made $13 million, but he exploited tax loopholes to avoid paying 500000 of that. Hey, do your patriotic duty, Joe. Number two. The president has been uh, committed to the refugee program and to rebuilding it. We know how to do this, and it takes time. Here we are on May 3rd uh, in a dramatically different um, situation. Really? 2,600 people crossed the Rio Grande Valley illegally over the weekend. 1,600 passed in Yuma, Arizona. And you think Alejandro Mayorkas, as the Health and Human Services uh, Director, the Homeland Security uh, Director, that you think things are better? As you hear, thousands continue to stream in here illegally. He did not even visit the border. I'm talking about the president of the United States when he gave the assignment to his VP, Harris, who has been 42 days and hasn't been to the border. Nobody cares about the chaos there. However, the president does find time to cave to the squad and increase the refugee admission from 15,000 to 62,000. We truly are light years from America first. Number one. The science has been clear for a long time. School's been safe for a long time. We're being told they're waiting for the CDC guidelines. What's going on is that the largest teachers union, they're directly involved in, you know, helping to steer the science and being, being, being part of this process. Pandemic collusion. That's what's going on between the teachers union and the CDC to keep our kids out of school. The details will outrage you as we are reopening in most states, but in the blue states, they're beginning to release their grip on our lives. They will not even commit to opening up schools in September saying I can't predict the future. Are you kidding? So the New York Post had this story and it's stunning. It's and I mentioned it a little bit yesterday, but not enough. The Freedom of Information Act request came to the CDC as well as to the teachers union, said we would like to see these documents. We believe there's going to be a lot of consulting between the two. 
the CDC is emblematic of follow the science, the Joe Biden mantra. Now, tell me what the science is and I'll react. That's the word. Well, what if the science is being influenced by the teachers unions? Would that bother you? Well, if you look at it and read these interactions, it will bother you because it looks as though constantly you had Rochelle Walensky, the CDC director, come out and flat out just say it is schools can safely reopen. Schools should safely reopen, she said about a month ago. And then two top teachers unions said, yeah, I don't think so. And then she said, well, they can. And the three-foot rule is in place, meaning you got the plexiglass, you got the spread, and you don't need six feet, three feet works. And guess what happened? In the areas where these unions are prevalent, where the unions are strong, they did not reopen. And in places like Los Angeles, they would open up the class and the teacher would be remote. This is unbelievable to me. But then when you see the interaction, it is flat-out maddening. Because it shows the documents going back and forth and all the politeness. Uh, Thank you again for Friday's rich discussion about the forthcoming CDC guidelines. The teachers union president writes to uh, to Walensky. That's Randy Weingartner, of course. She's uh, forever thinking about uh, teachers, not students. She said, turns out. The teachers unions have gone from $4 million in 2006, where they gave to Democratic causes, to $43 million. So you think they got some leverage within the Democratic Party? Absolutely. On a February 1st email that was forwarded to Carol Johnson, the White House Coronavirus Testing Coordinator, uh, these emails show this. Will McEntee, Associate Director of Public Engagement at the White House, quote, We are immensely grateful for your genuine desire to earn our confidence in your commitment to our partnership. Really? Partnership? The CDC should follow the science and we should respond, I thought. The lobbying paid off, at least two instances. Language suggested by the teachers union ended up in the documents sent out by the CDC. And it's part of the reason why there's no pressure from Joe Biden to open up. And I just cannot believe the audacity of the president to show up with his wife, who's allegedly a teacher, and go to a grammar school and a community college class and talk about the need to open up schools, knowing he's stopping from using, he's stopping schools from opening because he's refusing to use the power because they give so much money to the Democratic Party. Listen to some of this before I have to shut it off. Cut one. Safely reopening the majority to K through eight schools was one of my top priorities in my first 100 days because there's so much that happens when they don't have the certitude and the, and the, and the companionship and the familiarity of being with their friends. We say all those kids, well, they're all our children. They're all our children. And they are the kite strings that literally lift our national ambitions aloft. So we've got to invest in them, invest in our children, to invest in the future. Really? How much are you investing in them? Uh, they should have booed you right out of the classroom. This is February 3rd. This is your CDC director, cut two. There is increasing uh, data to suggest that schools can safely reopen and that that safe reopening does not um, uh, suggest that teachers need to be vaccinated in order to reopen safely. I would also say that um, safe reopening of schools is not, um, that vaccination of teachers is not a prerequisite for safe reopening of schools. 30% of kids are not back in schools. 30% have some type of hybrid school situations. About 4% don't go back at all. And a lot of them get credit for a full day of school when they only go for about two and a half hours. That's the CDC director February 3rd. We're May 4th right now, May 4th. And they will not even commit to next September. Because he's scared of the teachers' unions. You're 78 years old. 
What do you care about lobbying groups? 78 years old, and you can't show any leadership yet? Listen to this. He got $2 million from the teachers union to a pro-Biden super PAC. The AFF, the AFT, gave more than $14 million to liberal groups between 2019 and 2020. $23 million to liberal groups during the same time period, to, uh, to, according to the Center for Responsive Politics. And Randy Gard- Weingarten, wonder why she has so much power? They wrote big checks. By the way, are you really going to the best interest of schools and students if you can afford to put that much money in the pockets of politicians? They have found that over 10,000 public school districts across the country, that places with places with strong teachers unions, were statistically substantially more likely to not reopen their doors for in-person instruction. I love that the kids were a chance to respond. Now, this is not that easy to hear, but some kids, grade schoolers, were asked to respond about what they think about this virtual learning. Cut five. When we are really tired, then we can, you know, take a little nap. Unbelievable, right? So they say the McKinsey Group did a study and they said if you miss a year of school, you, you'd have a hybrid school where you have virtual school. It's like Matt, Matt uh, missing three to five months of education. So Joe Biden goes up there. If you want to talk about leadership, it's not saying I want $4 trillion for infrastructure and $6 trillion with a, uh, overall when you add the rescue package in of money that's not coming out of your pocket, money that we don't have as a country. That's not courage. That's not leadership. Even though he's got 59% approval rating, what leadership is is standing up to unions and doing what's right. Here's Tom Cotton, cut 10. The CDC is a thoroughly politicized agency. Uh, most Americans disregard their advice on things like steaks and hamburgers and beers. Uh, increasingly, they should disregard their advice when it comes to school reopening. Schools need to be open. Schools have been open in Arkansas five days a week in person since last August, and it's been largely fine. That's been the case all across the country as well. We shouldn't have a politicized public health bureaucracy like the CDC answering at the beck and call of the teachers' unions. We need kids back in school. And I tell you, if Republicans are worth anything, if they sincerely care about kids and winning elections because they do want to get kids back in school, does anybody, anybody, Doubt that President Trump wanted schools to reopen and this country to reopen? No. Did you like the way he did it? Maybe you didn't. But no one doubted where his head was at. Let these get people back to work. Let's get that vaccine quickly. Let's get the best therapeutics possible. But my goodness, we cannot keep our economy sidelined. We cannot keep kids out of school. I cannot begin to quantify how problematic that is. Meanwhile, while we're trying to get kids back in school in places like New York and Chicago— Governor Ron DeSantis says we are totally open. Nothing, no more restrictions. Cut eight. Folks that are saying that they need to be policing people at this point, if you're saying that, you really are saying you don't believe in the vaccines. You don't believe in the data. You don't believe in the science. We are open, open for business. The other thing I wanted to bring up is what's happening at the border, and I'm going to let go of this as soon as I feel it's even somewhat being addressed and they're not being lied to. So I mentioned to you the 2,600 that came through the Rio Grande Valley. I mentioned to you all the kids that are being moved around to sponsor families. I did not mention yet that in Houston public schools, they're talking about traumatized kids from other countries who can speak English now going into overcrowded classrooms. Is that right to the teacher, to the other students? 
Is it right for that kid coming from another country? Alejandro Mayorkas says it erroneously said the same thing as the Secretary of State said yesterday and the Chief of Staff, that Trump is to blame. The border was broken. Immigration was broken. Cut 16. The president has been uh, committed to the refugee program and to rebuilding it. We had to start a humanitarian process while we rebuilt the system in its entirety. We know how to do this, and it takes time. Here we are on May 3rd uh, in a dramatically different um, situation. The unaccompanied minors are being jettisoned throughout the country. They think that's solving the problem. You're just creating another generation of DACA kids where Chuck Schumer will get up and scream, it's through no fault of their own they came here. Yes, sent here by human traffickers to come to a country illegally. What a great message. Cut 17. We have a multi-part strategy uh, in this administration. Uh, the vice president is leading an effort uh, to address the root causes in the source countries in the Northern Triangle, Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, uh, to assist those countries in building the infrastructure and the capacity so people do not f feel forced to flee their homes. Mm -hmm. We are addressing the human smugglers, and of course, uh, we are providing for asylum relief for those who qualify. So let me just tell you today's story, I think it was the Washington Post, talked about what Mexico's doing and how they have leverage now. How do they have leverage? Because the previous president was frustrated, but he was working hard on building the wall, starting the barrier, getting more Border Patrol down there, giving the respect they deserve, while at the same time firing executives, firing directors because they weren't responding quickly enough. We saw that. I saw that. I went down there, and I watched. He says, oh, you don't want to give me money to build a wall? I'm going to take it from the Pentagon. And you're going to sue me? I'm going to fight you at the Pentagon. They gave the money back to the Pentagon. We built a lot of wall, about 400 miles. We got about 200 more to pay for. We're paying not to build it. So in Mexico, I find it fascinating. President Trump said Mexico is not helping us. They're not helping on their southern border. They're not helping on our southern border. So I am going to start a series of escalating tariffs on Mexico with their socialist leader. And it turns out that got their attention because the first time since the 1980s, they linked immigration and economics. And if you want to hurt Mexico, to hurt their trade with us. They build a lot of our stuff. They transport a lot of our stuff. We buy a lot of their stuff. And you want to hurt them, and they can ill afford to do that, you start hitting with tariffs. The threat of tariffs had them put, I think, between twenty and 50,000 uh, Mexican Marines at their southern border. The threat of tariffs had the Remain of Mexico policy take place. And then he went down and yanked the aid from those triangle countries and said, until you start cracking down on your population that are coming our direction, you're not getting it back. Then we sent envoys down to start working things out. Then we started the next country, the third country rule, where the first country you step into in an effort to apply to a citizenship in America, that is where you stayed until we uh, ruled on your status. And that stopped things. Nothing was broken. It was hard-handed, heavy-handed. And when the money got restored, there was some strings attached. You had to put it to the people, not in your pocket. That is not what Joe Biden did, Two point. I think $3 billion is going to these triangle countries, no strings attached. When we come back, I'll take your calls. Lieutenant uh, Colonel Allen West after that, 1-866-408-7669, The Brian Kilmeade Show. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So what we know from the from the literature, from the scientific literature, is that most disease transmission does not happen in the walls of the school. It comes in from the community. There's very limited um, transmission between students, between students and staff. And now 80% of teachers have gotten vaccinated. They demanded that. They got a ton of money from this rescue package, ton of money from the $900 billion that Donald Trump gave them in December. And they're still not open in many cases. About 30% are not open full time, and they won't commit till September. Nor will Joe Biden commit to opening up the country until the end of the summer. Is he crazy? Brian, listen on WRCN in Long Island. Hey, Brian. Hey, Brian. Uh- so I think the re- the word refugees get getting thrown around a lot, and and I, I don't think it's warranted. These people are coming here looking for a better life, and if they wanted to to, to stop the problem, they, they should have shut down the border. They had the perfect excuse, you know, our health, this country, put this country first. Okay, I mean, it, it, you don't you don't sneak into the neighbor's basement window when you want to visit their house. You go up to the front door and you knock. We have a way that we welcome these people, and 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 during the middle of a pandemic. To, to stop the, the 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 motions that were put forth by Donald Trump, and then to turn around and blame him for it? I mean, come on, Brian. Is that I know. I, I just hope independents, Democrats are gone, but I hope independents understand that that's that's comical. Appreciate it, Brian. I always said. Uh, President Biden had the perfect out. Hey, guys, you already paid for the wall. I'm going to let him finish it, finish the extra 50 miles. We got a pandemic. I really I got to crack down at the border just for your own. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Safety, the same way I'm trying to keep you six feet apart and sending inspectors in to uh, jam up your... uh, jam up restaurants. I'm not going to let uh, let my foot off the gas when it comes to the border, but he decided not to do it. 
But listen to how uh, how clueless the governor in New York is. Listen to him comment. You know about his nursing home scandal, right? Listen to what he said yesterday about why to get vaccinated. Cut six. Who are the groups who are targeting on the vaccination? Youthful and the doubtful. Maybe you will get a long-haul syndrome that we're not really sure what it is yet, but a lingering consequence of COVID. Or maybe you go home and kiss your grandmother and wind up killing your grandmother. Which he's great at because he told us uh, it would be a great idea to put positive patients back into nursing homes. He blames the people that work in nursing homes. Uh, and, of course, we thought 6,000 died. Now is a lot. It ends up being 15,000. We have proof that he hid those numbers in order to sell more books or something else uh, egregious. They're still investigating. But for him to bring that up, the arrogance and cluelessness, tone deafness of this governor goes beyond belief. Let's uh, talk to Stuart Varney next. one 408 Then you. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hear me clearly. America is not a racist country. It's backwards to fight discrimination with different types of discrimination. And it's wrong to try to use our painful past to dishonestly shut down debates in the present. Senator Tim Scott, of uh, some of his speech from the other night that he repeated in a couple of follow-up interviews, that we're not a racist country. We've got ways to go in some areas, but look at where he is now. No one gave him anything, went over his biography, went over what he believes, what, what Donald Trump was able to achieve in four years, his biggest concern about the first hundred days of Joe Biden, and, of course, the big issue of race policing in America. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, chairman of the Republican Party uh, of Texas, and we'll talk about a big runoff election that Republicans are quite happy about the results so far, and a senior fellow at the Media Research Center. Colonel, welcome back. It's good to be with you, Brian. Thank you. So what do you think of Tim Scott's address, especially that clip I just played you? No, it's an excellent uh, address. It was a very appropriate address. reference that he used because it's important that we move away from this racial divisiveness that the left is trying to sow. And, you know, Tim Scott and I, we came into Congress together in 2010, and we share a common story. In 1961, I was born in a blacks-only hospital in Atlanta, Georgia, but yet I rise up to become a lieutenant colonel in the Army, command a battalion in combat, member of the United States Congress, and now the chairman of the largest uh, Republican state party in the country. And that's not what the Democrats want to here. That's not the narrative that they want out there. They want a narrative about people being victims, and they want a narrative that separates and divides us. No kidding. In fact, you want to hear that message? It came out yesterday from Al Sharpton, Elizabeth City, North Carolina, Cut 26. A black senator said there, America's not racist. Seem a little strange to me. Now, everybody in America is not racist. But are you talking about whether the practice of America's racist or the people? Because the practice of America was built on racism. You believe that? Well, look, this is the point. Um, I mean, what is it going to take for charlatans like Al Sharp and Jesse Jackson, the, the folks that run Black Lives Matter? We were told that when you elected the first black president, Barack Hussein Obama, that, you know, we had turned a corner and everything was fine. So. But now, obviously, that was not good enough. So what does it take? 
you know, when I look at a person like Al Sharpton, what, what does he want to see happen? Because America does not have institutional racism. And really, the only people that have institutionalized racism uh, to be the soft bigotry of low expectations is the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party out there is saying that black people are too dumb, too ignorant, too incompetent to be able to get a photo ID so that they can go vote. Well, guess what? I see a lot of black people getting on airplanes and, and, and traveling and presenting picture IDs. But yet you have American Airlines and Delta Airlines, again, condescending, offensive to, uh, tone toward blacks, saying that we can't figure it out. So is this victimization, this victim mentality that I am absolutely sick of, and I don't even understand why people are still listening to Al Sharpton? Well, let's l- listen a little bit more. Cut 27. What do you mean, America? is not racist. America was started off racism. It has been blacks and whites like the black and white young folk that been marching for Andrew that made it go from racism to where it is today. That's the North Carolina uh, North Carolina citizen that was shot. Uh, we have not seen the video yet, but I think he had, I think, an 80-page rap sheet, and he was running from the cops at the time. We don't know details. But that was Al Sharpton continuing to say that. Now, would how many people are listening to him and how many people agree with him in the black community that you, that you think? I, I think that that number is shrinking. Uh, there are always going to be people that are kind of have that Stockholm syndrome and they will continue to want to be a victim because they have become comfortable in being a victim. But think about this, Brian. Was Al Sharpton in Chicago any of the recent weekends or Detroit or nope. any of the other places where you see high black-on-black crime and murder, uh, shootings, things of that nature? No, he's not. And so, again, it is using a certain black lives to matter for only an ideological purpose and a narrative that they're trying to continue to promulgate across this country. So I'm talking to Alan West. He's uh, He runs things for the Republican Party in, in Texas. So Republican Susan Wright and Jake Elise. Uh, advanced to a runoff of a huge field that Democrats thought they could at least get to a runoff in this uh, in this district that Donald Trump won by by three or four points. How were the Republicans able to prevail? What happened on the ground? Well, what happened on the ground is we really emphasize because that day was also our municipal level election. So we emphasize getting out to vote for city council, school board and this uh, special election. And even though there were 23 people in this race, uh, I think there were 12 uh, or so uh, Republicans or 11 Democrats. And and then there were some high spies, libertarians, whatever, but 23 people. But what we really wanted to do was focus on, uh, you know, the quality of the candidates and want to make sure that we enable the Republicans to get out. And we had a massive turnout, not just there in that congressional district, all across Texas for these municipal elections. And so we were very proud of that. And we put a lot of effort, the Republican National Committee and our state party, we put a lot of effort into getting Republicans out and getting them to vote. And uh, I think that the Democrats, once again, were thwarted. I I love that. You know, sometimes I sense both parties come up with issues they think is going to help them get elected. And other times, society shows you the issue, and your stance will get you elected. And I think society, American society, has brought this critical race theory, the 1619 Project, that is threatening to uh, take over all these school systems. In fact, Joe Biden has set up a grant system. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but if you want grants to your school, put the critical race theory into your curriculum. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick says, not in Texas. Cut 33. The South Lake School Board, the parents stood up and took a— 
took two seats back because they didn't want critical race theory. The Senate, the chamber that I'm president of, we passed out a bill banning critical race theory in 1619, as so did the Texas House, and we'll get one of those bills to the governor's desk. So you guys are taking action. Do you find that parents or Republican and Democrat parents feel the same way in many cases? Well, absolutely so. And as I said, this past Saturday, we had our municipal level level elections and over 70 percent of school board members that supported the critical race theory and a far left progressive indoctrination of students were defeated in the across the state of Texas. So the message is very clear. We want to educate our future generations. We don't want to indoctrinate them. We want them to understand history. And when I think about what Al Sharpton was saying, um, you know, I go back to the words of the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. We fought a war to make sure that we uh, understood that all men are created equal. So America was not standing on the principles of a slave ship coming to its shores or racism. America was founded on the principle of individual rights, freedom, and sovereignty. And just to bring us back to that time, uh, nobody thinks that we glazed over that in social studies. I don't know a single state or anybody I've talked to that doesn't understand the brutality and the evil of slavery. I got something else to tell you. America didn't invent it. It was in every continent on the planet. Mm -hmm. And up until 1772, the British had it. And they get rid of Mm -hmm. it and they say, look, America fought to keep it. That is not what happened. The British lost it, 1772, but they left it in all their colonies. And it wasn't wasn't for these slave uprisings uh, where they fought for their freedom and and kicked off their chains. They probably would have still been there for another hundred years. So there was no there was no perfect society. But America didn't fight the Revolutionary War to keep slavery, Colonel. No, they didn't. And that's the important thing about history. And that's why it needs to be taught. And that's why I appreciate all the work that you've done in your incredible books. And that's what needs to be in our schools, not this, this you know, BLM type of stuff and not this critical race theory or some of these other things that we're allowing to get into our corporations and our boardrooms and, and, and to our employees, you know, mandatory training on these type of things. So we have got to get back to understanding what it means to live in this constitutional republic, truly what was found upon. Every single society, civilization, nation has had dark moments. We had our dark moment. But guess what? A kid born in an inner city of Atlanta, Georgia, in a blacks-only hospital is talking to you right now on a national radio program. And you'll see, uh, because I have a book coming out, as I've told to you before, called The President and the Freedom Fighter. Abraham Lincoln, from as bad a conditions as you could possibly be as a white person in America or in the Midwest, and then you got this guy named Frederick Douglass, born a slave, escapes for freedom, mm-hmm. writes a biography seven years later, becomes an international speaking star, and help uh, be one of the leaders of an abolition movement that made America uh, a much more perfect union. And when combined with this other poor kid who had one year of formal education called Abraham Lincoln, was able to lead us through the darkest time beyond uh, – you know, beyond reproach, no one doubts it, a darkest time in our history and come out a better country, but not a perfect country. And for the longest time, all I saw was progress. Now, all of a sudden, I'm seeing people look back and say, I'm embarrassed by the country, uh, where we've been, why we're here to begin with, and then what we are. They weren't saying that seemingly what I saw in the 60s. They were saying, we got to get better. Now they're saying, why do we, in many cases, why do we exist That's coming from within. 
No, you're absolutely right. It's coming from Rathan. And, you know, a great story that you're about to release uh, about Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass, incredible relationship. Frederick Douglass, the reason why we have the Emancipation Proclamation, the first black troops that served in the United States military, the 54th Massachusetts Regiment. But understand where we are today. As incredible as Frederick Douglass was in his life, they tore down his statue in Rochester, New York. Yep. Frederick Douglass, uh, the, the first black unit, the 54th Massachusetts Regiment, they destroyed their monument in Boston. This is what is happening in our country. And so when I hear about this Black Lives Matter, critical race theory and everything, this is inconsequential to the future of this, uh, this great nation. What it is is detrimental to the future of this great nation. Right. Um, do you have it, Eric? Or- I want you to hear this. This is an ad to recruit new agents to the CIA. I'm a woman of color. I am a mom. I am a cisgender millennial who's been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. I am intersectional, but my existence is not a box-checking exercise. I stand here today a proud first-generation Latina and officer at CIA. I am unapologetically me. I want you to be unapologetically you, whoever you are. Know your worth. Command your space. That's to get CIA agents. How does that help you become all you can be? The, the ads that we used to see to get us to join the military, yeah. how does that help you? I, 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 congratulations on her story, whatever it is, however it goes. Is that the profile you want as a CIA agent? Well, first of all, I'm confused. I, I don't know what she was describing herself to be. And as George, James Carville is saying, the left needs to stop using all these crazy words that they're making up and, and just speak to, to people in normal language. You're right. When I came into the uh, United States Army, it was be all you could be. That was it. Uh, it wasn't about, you know, disc of color or that or whatever. It was one color, and, and that color was the color green. And the uh, the color that we cared about and we took an, an oath to support and defend was the red, white, and blue. But so we have gotten so far away from understanding what brings us together, e pluribus unum, uh, out of many one, now that we're trying to get to the point where we're just dividing and separating ourselves and creating all of these different boxes that she is talking about that she has to check. So I would just say, hey, join the CIA, join the CIA serve your country. It's a, it's a great career, uh, and, and there's nothing greater, as my dad told me, there's nothing greater that he said than to wear the uniform of the United States of America, a corporal. In the United States Army, a segregated army, but yet he told his son at the age of 15 that he wanted me to be the first officer in the family. Not some cisgender, you know, man of color, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Just go and be an officer in the army. Right. That's what I did. And we need, and you did, and we need people like that, and we need, I need the best of the best in the CIA. We got, we're being cyber attacked on a daily basis. We are, we got to find out where the next hit is coming from, where our enemies are, what they're thinking. I don't want to hear a biography of an agent that I don't remember hearing about two people like that in my life. No, we don't. And just the same as, you know, American Airlines is, is now, I'm not in America, but United is talking about, hey, we're just going to get, you know, anybody in there because we want diversity in the cockpit. No, I want I want a good pilot in the cockpit. Thank I, don't, you. I don't care about diversity. Uh, Colonel, thanks so much. Uh, congratulations. Uh, re- Republicans, big wins in um, uh, in uh, over the weekend, uh, this week, actually. And we'll see what happens in the runoff. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, thank God you. Bless. All right. Uh, 1-866-408. It's the 6th District, I should say. 1-866-408-7669. I see you out there. We'll get right back to you. Brian Kilmeade Show.
Getting past all the rhetoric. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Our next guest is a small business owner in Johnson, Tennessee, and she says that she's struggling to hire even after raising her pay and her benefits. Joining me now is the owner of Johnson City Heating and Air, Kelly Ritzko. Good morning to you, Kelly. Sorry, Brian's phone's going off. <laughs> that happened today. So I'm inside with you guys doing my Facebook Live, and I left my phone and the ringer on. Most people know not to call me. I've left my ringer on for weeks uh, during the show. But evidently, uh, the school was calling because Caitlin was in school, but she wasn't. they didn't pick up that she was there. So they were calling to say, where's Caitlin? And that was during uh, Ainsley's segment, but we never heard that. No, we were doing Facebook Live at the time, and then Keith, one of the camera operators, comes in and says, here, Brian, your phone is ringing during Ainsley's segment. (laughs) (laughs) So professional. I had no idea I was screwing up other people's segments. You know when we bring guests into the studio, and again, I guess when we're allowed to do that again, hopefully soon, we always tell them, you know, make sure your phone is on silent, but apparently now they'll know that the host doesn't put his phone on silent. Oh, my goodness. All right, so that happened today. Kevin, listen to WIBW in Kansas. Hey, Kevin. Uh, yeah, good morning, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. No problem. Um, I've been a teacher for 12 years in the past, got out of it a couple of years ago, and you're talking about teachers not wanting to go back and stuff in some states, which is terribly unfortunate. But I know before COVID hit, uh, you some of your big headlines were, teachers in these big cities that just were powerless to deal with kids with behavior issues and uh, all that kind of stuff. And now when they're going back, like you said uh, in an earlier segment in Houston, where they're traumatized, they don't speak English. I mean, teachers are just fighting even more of a battle. So Absolutely. Know, I mean, and p- Kevin, it, please tell me where they're going to bat for teachers. How are they getting teachers more financing to teach in, in, uh, in, in ris- risky locations? Why isn't there more oh, incentive in East New that. York or uh, the south side of Chicago. I mean, that's what unions should be doing, making sure security's in these schools and uh, and making sure these kids aren't dumped into working-class neighborhoods where English is maybe the third language. They're not. Instead, they're just le- using their power, their leverage, their, their uh, lobby money to make sure teachers don't go back to school. It's crazy. Yeah, and give them some pay for going back into those situations because we already know that Teachers are on the lower income of uh, college-educated professionals, and that giving them some power to remove kids who are there just to sabotage the learning environment. Because now that we've got these online programs and the ability to to zoom it, then maybe we can go back to kicking some kids out of school when they need it. So, right. teaching them some consequences, but or getting the getting the help they need in order to be effective. Thanks so much for the call. Yeah, I like them to go back for the president of the United States to say I can't even commit to going back in September because I can't predict what's going to happen. But you sit there and make a budget as it's going to be projected how much you're going to need. You have begged for six trillion dollars in 101 days. How do you know you're going to need all that? Most of these states are in surplus despite the pandemic because they've been able to raise tax revenue or they weren't be able to uh, use a lot of the mass transportation. So therefore, they were able to save money that way. But now with the big checks that Joe Biden's writing to all these blue states, they don't even need the money. But you can't commit to September school because you have no power over the teachers. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade from New York. Heard around the country, heard around the world. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, we're going to talk to Brian Yenis, doing an incredible job following this Governor Cuomo series of scandals that never seem to come to an end. He was able to get a question off yesterday where Governor Cuomo made it clear he denies everything. All the accusers are liars and venial and just want to be famous. Unbelievable in this Me Too era that he's able to get away with that. We're also going to do a... a, a Simulcast like we do every Tuesday with Stuart Varney. Have a chance to go to the number one show in Fox Business uh, News on FBN. You'll be able to see what I look like. If you're not watching Fox Nation, it streams our show every single day. And Mark Thiessen will be with us shortly, Washington Post columnist, Fox News contributor, former speechwriter for President uh, George W. Bush. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It's paid for by making sure corporate America and the wealthiest 1% just pay their fair share. And I'm not anti-corporate, but it's about time they start paying their fair share. It's about making a choice. All right. Joe Biden about making a choice in Portsmouth, Virginia. Time to raise taxes on people that are successful. In your dreams. That's the word from GOP as Biden's $4 trillion infrastructure and family spending plans are out. If you think the GOP is going to go along with that, forget it, while also getting them to sign off on a huge tax increase and pay your fair share. Which brings me to the president. Why doesn't he? His tax returns reveal that he's got earned $13 million and he exploited tax loopholes to save 500000 and not pay Social Security or Medicare tax. Isn't that nice? Do your patriotic duty, Mr. President. Number two. The president has been uh, committed to the refugee program and to rebuilding it. We know how to do this, and it takes time. Here we are on May 3rd uh, in a dramatically different um, situation. Really? Alejandro Mayorkas. He is uh, running Homeland Security, and now suddenly he thinks the border's okay? You hear thousands continue to stream into our nation illegally, and the president is unwilling to stop by, the vice president unwilling to stop by, even though it's her job. However, the president does find time to cave to the squad and increase refugee admission from 15 to 62,000. We are truly light years from America first. Number one. The science has been clear for a long time. School's been safe for a long time. We're being told they're waiting for the CDC guidelines. What's going on is that the largest teachers union, they're directly involved in, you know, helping to steer the science and being 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 part of this process. Uh, Adam Laxalt upset about what we now know. And you should be upset too. teachers unions communicating with the CDC and they're taking language from the teachers unions on whether kids should go back in school or not. This is outrageous. And it's where we're going to start with Mark Thiessen. Mark, I thought about you right away. Because we're wondering why these schools, about 33% of schools are not open, have some type of hybrid situation, some only open for two and a half hours. It turns out most of them in big districts with big, powerful unions, and the President of the United States will not force them back to school because overall they gave about $40 million to Democrats last election cycle in 2020. But this is outrageous, isn't it? Uh, it's entirely outrageous. I mean, the, the idea that 
The teachers unions are helping to write political uh, scientific guidance on reopening of schools. I mean, remember the controversy when President Trump, when, when, when he actually had a scientist who was who was not part of the CDC process, who was at the CDC, who was try, trying to uh, uh, affect the guidance, and everybody said, oh, my gosh, political interference in the, in the, in the CDC guidance, science is sacrosanct. And now we said, but Randy Weingarten, she can, she can, she can edit and have, and have her, her language taken verbatim. <laughs> In, in the CDC guidance, so that's perfectly fine. But, you know, it's a completely different standard from when Trump was in office to when Biden is in office. Uh, it's unbelievable. And that he had the audacity to go to a school and talk about the need to get back to school and uh, the reason to get people back into and away from the laptops, knowing that working class kids are paying the biggest price because those are the heavily unionized teachers that don't, even if the teachers wanted to go back, they can't buck their union. So when the kids were asked, about what they like about it. Listen to what they said. Cut five. When we're really tired, then we can, you know, take a little nap. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes when Miss B was, like, paying attention to something else, you could eat and it was fun. <laughs> if you don't know the question, you can just pretend like your mind doesn't matter. I didn't like virtual. You didn't? No. It was no. terrible. I liked it. Kids are not lying. They hate it except for the time when they could take a nap during it. And we know yeah. it. And we know that in these states it's worked. How can President Biden get a pass on this? It's, it's uh, unbelievable. And look, the reality is that this is going to hurt uh, poor minority kids the, 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 the most. The uh, McKinsey study showed that uh, kids, could, kids in poor, poor schools and poor communities could have up to 80, 82,000 in lifetime income loss uh, just from the learning losses alone. What the president ought to be doing is not simply, not just reopening the schools now or saying we're going to get them reopened in the fall. He should be pushing the teachers union to agree to have summer school this year so the kids can make up for the learning losses of the last year. Because once those learning losses are locked in, they're permanent. Because every, and, they, and they accumulate over every year. Every year you fall behind, you can never catch up. Um, so, you know, we're really condemning a generation of poor minority children uh, to, uh, you know, basically pushing them down several rungs on the ladder of American opportunity. So we and, see this. You know, right. So we see the CDC director come out and tell us, tell these kids they can go back to school, tell the parents they should be going back to school. Here is her, uh, Dr. Rochelle Walensky on February 3rd, cut to. There is increasing uh, data to suggest that schools can safely reopen and that that safe reopening does not um, uh, suggest that teachers need to be vaccinated in order to reopen safely. I would also say that um, safe reopening of schools is not um, that vaccination of teachers is not a prerequisite for safe reopening of schools. But yet 80 percent of teachers have now been vaccinated, Mark Thiessen. Yeah. And, and they still and, won't go back. And the ones who haven't been vaccinated probably don't want it because at this point, there's not if you are a American adult who's over 16 or if you're over 16 years old, you can go to CVS website right now, sign up and get a vaccine this week. There is no restriction anymore or any impediment to you getting vaccinated. So the idea that but that was just their excuse. Look, Brian, what they're doing is and this is a broader thing. It's not just the teachers union. The teachers unions are using covid 
as a pretext to get all sorts of federal funding that they couldn't get under other circumstances. The $400 billion in the COVID relief bill, I think only 6% of that is going to be spent this year. But it was used as a, but it was used because we need to give this money to the schools so they can reopen. It has nothing to do with school reopening. That's the same thing. Why was Biden wearing a mask in the House chamber? Why were was uh, with Vice President Harris and Speaker Pelosi? Why was there only 200 people in a 1600 room uh, chamber? Because it's politi- pandemic political theater to justify a miasma of government spending. They know that if you had a normal state of the uh, state of the union address, that would send a signal that normalcy is turning, that the crisis is coming to an end, and they don't want the crisis to be to come to an end because they have over $6 trillion in spending that they want to ram through Congress. And if they don't have a crisis, the American people would never support it. So they need to prolong the crisis as long as they can with pandemic political theater in order to justify getting all this money rammed through on party line votes. But I thought you were going to bring uh, uh, integrity and valor uh, back to the White House, where I'm always going to tell you the truth and I'm going to admit when I'm wrong. But listen to Anita Dunn yesterday, White House advisor. He said probably. He didn't say absolutely. But given the science, if the vaccination program in this country proceeds, if people do go get their vaccines, there he does believe that schools should be able to reopen in September and reopen safely following the CDC guidelines. But he said probably. He said did not say absolutely because we've all seen this since, unfortunately, January of 2020. It's an unpredictable yeah, virus. Right. It, we it, can't look in a crystal ball and say what September looks like. Exactly. You can't look at a crystal ball, but I know I need $6 trillion. I know that for sure. <laughs> I mean, it's just so dishonest. You know, we, we, we always talk about the big lie of the twenty uh, the last election. The big lie is that Joe Biden was a moderate who was going to govern it from the center and, and, and achieve consensus and, and, and tell us the truth. Uh, that's the big lie of the, of the last election. The reality is, is that he, he is, they are being dishonest. I mean, what Anita Dunn just said there, the CDC said you don't have to be vaccinated to go back to the classroom. They said it. That was, the, the, that was the, the, his own hand-picked CDC advisor. Now all the teachers are vaccinated and they're still hedging on whether we should be open in September. Kids should be, every American kid should be back in school right now. The teachers should be showing up for work all summer to try and help the poor, poor minority kids make up for the, the learning losses so they, so they can start the next school year with the knowledge they need to go on to the next grade. And, the, and why, you know, and I remember when Bill Clinton came, remember he had his sister soldier moment, you know, where he, he pushed back on his party. He pushed back, for example, on, on NAFTA and free trade and Democrats who didn't want that. Where is Joe Biden's sister soldier moment? Why won't he say to the teachers unions, you are hurting American kids? Why, why open up these schools, open up these schools this summer? Go back to go back to work. You've been teachers been sitting in their homes for a year doing Zoom calls. Show up in the classroom this summer and let these kids recover the learning losses because that's still doable. Well, you know why? Get those learning losses fixed. As I mentioned, teachers unions ramped up their political spending from four million in 2004 to 43.7 million in 2020, and they're trying to cash in and get their money's worth. At which time, Joe Biden, at 78 years old who no one thinks is going to run for a second term, should say, listen, there's right and wrong. But she stood in front of those kids and acted like he had their interests in mind. He doesn't. Don't tell me you care about daycare when you're making these people stay home with kids because they can't get to school and more women have been forced to sacrifice their careers because of it. And it's all because he doesn't have the courage to do it. One thing about Trump, you knew exactly where he stood. 
open up the economy, get the kids back in school. He said it every single day while they told him he couldn't get a vaccine, and they did that in nine months. But, of course, Joe Biden said the border was broken and there was no plan to give anyone a vaccine. No one ever had any idea what to do with all those vials. So I want to bring it to I'm going to talk to Brian Yenos, who's got this beat. But one of the big, the most disgraced governor I've seen still in office is Governor Cuomo, a man they put up on a pedestal for no reason because he wasn't Trump. And then yesterday, knowing that he's being investigated about nine separate sexual assault violations, harassment violations, knowing he's being investigated for hiding the number of people who lost their lives in nursing homes. Listen to how this clueless governor, listen to what he said yesterday on why we should get vaccinated. Cut six. Who are the groups who are targeting on the vaccination? Youthful and the doubtful. Maybe you will get a long-haul syndrome that we're not really sure what it is yet, but a lingering consequence of COVID. Or maybe you go home and kiss your grandmother and wind up killing your grandmother. He is an expert at killing grandmothers. I give you that. But why would he say that? mind-boggling. I mean, look, the reality is they are undermining confidence in the vaccine by the way they're behaving. Did you see yesterday uh, where he went and visited uh, Jimmy Carter and Rosalind Carter, and they're sitting indoors with the Carters without masks, which is right because everybody, all four of them are vaccinated, and then they go outside and put on their friggin' masks outdoors. What, sec- what, what signal are you sending when you, when you wear masks in the, in the Senate chamber and the House chamber, when you wear masks outdoors, even though when you're violating your own CDC guidance, you're telling people right now we are now at a tipping point where everybody who was eager to get vaccinated has been vaccinated or can get a vaccine. And I think we've gone down from 3.4 million doses a day last week to, uh, to 2.4 million doses in the, in the previous week, a million fewer a day. That's because people, we now need to convince the vaccine hesitant to get the vaccine. And if you can't tell these people you're going to get your life back, you can live your life as normal, then they're not going to get it. And that undermines public health. Absolutely. i got to bring you to another area of your expertise. You wrote a book on terror. You know what uh, Afghanistan is, is capable of producing? Terrorists. Uh, sadly, they're great at that. Now we're leaving, and now the sitting governor, the, the sitting president of Afghanistan is begging for aid as we leave the door. Are we actually going to leave without continuing to finance to a degree their security forces? Are we just handing the keys over to the Taliban and going to pretend to declare victory? That's what they're going to do. The Taliban's going to come back into power, period. And we've said that it's not conditions-based, so we're leaving no matter what. I mean, this is, this is one of the most the worst pl- bl- uh, national security blunders in my lifetime, done by the guy who ran the withdrawal of Iraq that led to the rise of ISIS and still hasn't learned his lesson. The idea, first of all, it's going to cost us more to withdraw all of our troops and support the Afghan government from afar than it does to keep the small number of 2,500 troops that we have there. Um, that's that's more expensive. There's not going to be any cost savings. And this idea that, you know, that Biden says that you can have an over over the horizon uh, targeting of terrorist threats. No, you can't because you need intelligence to find out where the terrorists are. And if you're not on the ground, you don't get the intelligence. And you think the Afghans who we just betrayed are going to be sharing intelligence with us? Of course not. So this whole idea of an over the horizon, you know, capability to take out terrorists in Afghanistan is is a, is a load of B.S. It's maddening, and I, I wasn't pleased when President Trump said I'm pulling all the troops out. I thought that was very uh, knee-jerk reaction to the word endless war doesn't make any sense either. Are we in an endless war in Japan? Are we in an endless not, war in South Korea? We're not fighting a war in Afghanistan. 
We're, we're in an equip and train mission. Yes. The Afghans are fighting the war for us. We are providing them with force enablers. We're providing them with mission planning, with air support, with intelligence capabilities, things that they don't have to ta- take out the terrorists. And then when we see a high-value target, we have a capability on the ground to take it out. But we're not fighting the war. And listen, Brian, we have more troops in Spain than we have in Afghanistan right now. The idea that we can't sustain 2,500 or 4,000 troops in Afghanistan for the foreseeable future as long as the terrorist threat is there, you know, and and also the other idea that we're somehow like, you know, we have to have our goal is to have a Jeffersonian democracy in Afghanistan. No, our goal is to have a government where the leaders don't wake up every morning and think that America is what's wrong with the world and we need to go kill those people. Right That's, now we have yeah. that in Afghanistan. If the Taliban come back into power, we're going to have a government that wants to kill us. And that's, what that, that's the standard, not whether it's a Jeffersonian mm. democracy. Mark Thiessen, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. Great stuff as usual. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Then we go inside the Cuomo investigation with Brian Yenis. Uh, he's been on this beat from day one. Don't move. A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The reason I'm bothering to do this is I keep hearing on the press, Biden's going to raise your taxes. Anybody making less than $400,000 a year will not pay a single penny in taxes. He's not having a good day. He didn't have a good day uh, when he mispronounced a couple of things, and he also was wrong on that number. He also said how many vaccines everyone got, 230 million. That is not true. Uh, We're at 30% of the country right now with the single shot. Um, with uh, with this, with a single shot and about, excuse me, with a double shot, fully vaccinated and about 49 million are fully vaccinated, uh, 49 percent of the country. So he was wrong there. And he was just wrong saying that if you make 400,000, you're not going to pay taxes. He said you won't have a tax increase is what he should have said. And he's not clear on this is combined income with your spouse or significant other. Big difference. Huge difference. I want to add something else. And it turns out, according to the taxes, Wall Street Journal wrote this up a couple of weeks ago. No one really picked it up. So it turns out between speaking engagements and book deals, Joe Biden and his wife, Jill, made $13 million, uh, I think, last year or the year before. So what they did is, in order to avoid paying taxes, they formed an S-corporation and put the money into that. Therefore, they ended up not paying Social Security, payroll tax, or any type of Medicare tax. Therefore, they saved $500,000. So listen, you made $13 million. Pay your fair share. Why are you doing this? You did something legal, not illegal. Get it. But if you want everybody else to pay their fair share, why are you capitalizing on loopholes? Loopholes have evidently Barack Obama tried to close. I'm not sure if you kept it open or not for yourself. Do your patriotic duty. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Governor, can we assume that you won't be making any definitive decisions about your future? after the release of this AG report, regardless of what's said in it, and instead you're going to wait until the uh, impeachment inquiry is done in the state assembly? Yeah, nursing homes uh, is being looked at by 
the Eastern District. That was a political investigation started by Donald Trump, uh, who politicized not just COVID, but then politicized nursing homes and policies towards nursing homes. Uh, and wanted to blame Democratic governors like myself. And I've already told New Yorkers uh, where I am. Uh, I did nothing wrong, and uh, period. And I'm not resigning, and I'm doing my job every day. He's not resigning. I think that's pretty clear. But in terms of not doing anything wrong, that is not clear. He did not even commit to to backing the integrity of the investigation done by a Democratic attorney general. Brian Yenis joins us now. He's been all over this story for Fox News while doing everything else from the riots to the unrest. Uh, Brian, well, welcome to Brian Kilmeade Show. Appreciate being here. Brian, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I was getting a little worried. This has been a long time since you invited me. I, I know. I, being on yeah, because you know what? You're always on the road. I used to see people in the office. But, Brian, I've been noticing your work, sure. obviously. You've been incredible in these in these breaking news, dangerous situations. But I, were you surprised you were called on yesterday? Uh, you know, I wasn't. And I think the reason why was because this is the first time that we've had a press event in in person in a small room. So I made sure I got there an hour beforehand, and I was one of the – Pretty much the eight people that were able to sit inside. Um, you know, he made eye contact with me the entire time. I, I, everybody there knew that I was with Fox News. Um, he had, you know, he, t- he took more questions than he normally has. You know, what he's been doing, Brian, over the last few months has been pretty brilliant politically in that he has blocked out the press in a lot of these events. He's showing up to a lot of these COVID-19 vaccination events through New York. He's uh, flanked by allies of his that then speak about how great he's been doing on COVID, but the press is blocked out. No one's able to ask questions, and but he's still able to get his message out and still make it appear as though it's still business as normal. And I, I, I have to think, having covered this story uh, from the get-go, that what he's really counting on here is that the attorney general report is going to be released with uh, with all of everything that we're going to know about the sexual harassment allegations. He'll then say, no matter what that report says, let's wait for the um, for the impeachment inquiry to be done, which could take months. And it's being handled by by members of his own party. And then by that point, I think he's hoping that the summer of no covid is going to help people sort of forget about these scandals and. I think that's why I asked him that question yesterday, Brian, because I wanted him. He's been saying over and over again, let's wait for the facts to come out. Let's wait for the facts before you before, you know, reserve judgment, New Yorkers, until we know the facts. And so I wanted to know when we know the facts on the AG, are you going to make a definitive decision on your on your on your future? And the, obviously he's not. He's going to wait. He, he actually he said yesterday, it doesn't matter what both reports say. I'm not resigning. So there you go. There's your answer. Is he um, running again I, with the other question? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because I, I do think he is going to. I, I, you know, and you look at the polling, Brian, and at the end of the day, you know, it's about fifty-fifty in terms of how people feel about him right now. And maybe that'll get that'll be. I, I suspect this AG report will not be kind. Um, but how much more new detail we'll hear about these sexual harassment allegations is one thing. But I think ultimately, and this is something that Janice Dean always tells us, Brian, the number one thing here is about the nursing homes. And that is, you know, that's in the hands of the FBI. That's in the hands of the Eastern District of New York. What will they say? And I think the big question there is, did his administration obstruct justice? When the Department of Justice asked for the data that said how many people have died in nursing homes in New York, because we want to get a sense of how bad the situation is, did you 
purposely withhold that data and obstruct with our investigation. And in many ways, Brian, over the last few weeks or the last few months, they have said outright, and he said it yesterday again, the governor, we thought that this was a political ask, so we froze, was what his top aide said, and we decided not to release that information because we thought it was going to be used politically against us. But the point is, is that my follow-up question to that would have been, by not releasing the information in the first place, it was a political decision on your part, Governor Cuomo. You obviously didn't want to release that information because right. you knew that it would cause the kind of chaos that, it's, that we're now seeing right now. But, Brian, didn't paperwork reveal last week that they not only did not know, they knew that this number was high. They went out of their way not to release it. They told Howard Zucker, the health commissioner, not to get, you know, not to release that correct number. So intentionally incorrect with that number, correct? Right. And I think that, in the, yeah, it was the New York Times that reported that this went further. You know, before this report came out, we knew that last summer that when this big report came out, they said that there were about 6,000 nursing home deaths. The real number was actually 9,800. And it's been reported that top aides for Cuomo worked really, really hard to edit that health department report to make sure that it wasn't that bad. And the accusation here is that the reason why they were so worried about it was because Cuomo at the time was negotiating an at least $4 million book deal uh, for his uh, touting his leadership skills during COVID-19. What the New York Times reported recently was that it wasn't just that State Department report. It was a scientific paper that they kept from being published. Amazing. It was an audit of the deaths that they kept from being published. And there were two letters that were going to be sent to state legislators that they kept from being sent. And the governor was asked about this, not at this past press conference, but the one before where at an event. And, and again, he said, yeah, we did not release the numbers because we didn't trust it. We didn't trust that the hospital numbers were right, and we didn't want to cause confusion, which we knew would be weaponized against us politically. But um, it doesn't smell. It doesn't pass the smell test. We, we were the only state that divided Absolutely. nursing home deaths between hospital and those who died at nursing homes. Release the numbers if you have them and be, be forthright. Um, and because he wasn't, we're here. All right. So you have that. And did you use staff as an ethics violation to write your book? Oh, well, they chose right. to do that to help me out. I wanted them to make sure this is right. So that's another investigation on top of that. And then you have nine separate accusers in this era of Me Too, Brian. Does it befuddle you? Or are you so involved in the day to day that nine separate women were called, I guess, liars and uh, publicity hounds? Listen to what he said last week about this. People say a lot of things. People say a lot of things in politics. Uh, that's why do people say things? Who knows? People are venial. People want attention. People are angry. People are jealous. Who knows why people spread rumors? I thought women are be, to be believed. It's, uh, this isn't... <laughs> He said that he's going to say his side of the story, but the reality is he's been saying his side of the story. He's been talking badly and, and sort of, sort of, uh, you know, talking down on the accusations against him. Nine women is a serious thing, particularly when there are two women who are currently working for you, and one of them is accusing you of sexually, uh, sexually assaulting her inside of the executive mansion. You know, there seems to be a sense here where there's a, a bit of a double standard. Uh, one has to think for both political parties. Obviously, when it's your guy, uh, you feel as though <laughs> you, 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 I guess you, you don't want him to go down for, for multiple reasons. But had this been a Republican, I could imagine that that obviously that the, the calls for resignation would be would be fierce. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised 
Uh, and but the reality is, is that the governor has everybody in the Democratic Party, from the senators down to the head of the Senate here in the state, calling on him to resign, and he still has. The only person who is still standing by his side is Carl Hasty, who, who is the uh, state. Um, he's the speaker here, and he's of the assembly, and he's the only one that hasn't come out straight and said, you know, please resign. So I guess what I'm just saying here, Brian, is I think this shows a bit of just how much power that this man has in New York, that regardless from all the senators, from the majority of the Democratic constituency calling on him to step down, he's still here. Um, so, I mean, this this is a real problem for them. And I think once the AG report comes out, there's going to be an incredible amount of pressure uh, for him to, to step down. I, I don't think that once this is on paper mm-hmm. and that it is an official investigation, I got to think that this is going to elevate to the next level. Uh, it, it's one thing to be hearing it be a news report. It's another thing when an AG who is as accomplished and as reputable as Letitia James comes out with an independent investigation. You know, there could even be a criminal charge here. I mean, sexually assaulting somebody in the executive mansion, um, if that were to be true, could come with a criminal charge. He's got nowhere to go, Brian. I want you to hear how clueless he is. You heard this at the time. But you talk about how tone deaf. Listen listen to Andrew Cuomo uh, urge people to get vaccinated and give this example, cut six. Who are the groups who are targeting on the vaccination? Youthful and the doubtful. Maybe you will get a long haul syndrome that we're not really sure what it is yet, but a lingering consequence of COVID. Or maybe you go home and kiss your grandmother and wind up killing your grandmother. Right, if anyone knows a lot about uh, <sighs> dead grandmothers, it's the governor of New York. 30 seconds, I'm Brian? Really- yeah, incredibly, uh, incredibly unfortunate. This is somebody who put in a put in a law and, and a directive that forced uh, COVID-19 patients into nursing homes with people's grandmothers and still won't take responsibility for it. He won't take any responsibility right. for the deaths in the state's nursing homes. Uh, unfortunate, to say the least, and tone deaf, for sure. Brian Yenis, uh, keep asking the tough questions, doing a great job. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Brian. Be well. You got it. Uh, I'm going to be on with Stuart Varney and then taking some calls when you're back in. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Yeah, we got a couple of seconds, but just let me remind you, too, that uh, when we're done here, I'll be able to squeeze in some calls on the back end. So 1 866 408 7669. We're going to be talking about what's going on with these teachers' unions. We're going to talk about these kids that aren't in school. Believe it or not, I know maybe your family is, but there's 33% of the country have to do some hybrid or not in school at all. Let's listen in. With Brian, all kinds of things in the news today. It's very contentious, and Brian Kilmeade joins us right now. Here he is. All right, Brian, I know you've seen this, but I'm going to show it again. This is school children telling the Bidens how they feel about virtual learning. Roll tape, please. Why aren't our children back in school full-time learning in person? It seems to me the Biden team is in the pocket of the teachers' union. No question. I was staggered to see 
that they, the Democrat Party and super PACs in and around Joe Biden collected $40 million in 2020 through that election cycle. $40 million. You better get something for that money. Who would have thought the $40 million wouldn't be nicer schools or buildings or pay raises? You know what it is? The $40 million goes into staying at home, having access to the CDC, even though the, uh, the CDC director comes out on February 3rd and February 14th and says there's no reason for these kids to be back in school. We see communication as of Sunday through the Freedom of Information Act request that shows direct interaction between the CDC and the teachers' unions, which respects tens of thousands of schools uh, around this country, many of which are in the inner city. So the kids that need it most aren't allowed to go back the quickest. In fact, they're going back last, which hurts women for the most part because they have to stay home because they can't afford the extra child care, destroying careers and livelihoods. Don't sit in front of that class, Mr. President, and say you care about the kids because you didn't have the courage at the age of 78 years old to stand up and say more important than the $40 million you chose to give me, I care about this kids not losing a generation of Americans in first, second, eighth, 11th, and 12th grade. I find it just really despicable and unbelievable that these communications came out and yeah. it's not a bigger story. Yeah, I agree. And then there's this. I know you've seen this video and we've shown our audience this video before. I'm going to play a very small part of it because it's germane to this argument. Roll tape. The speed limit is 40 and I was going 38, so why are you harassing you me? You are correct. I pulled you over because, because... you're a murderer. The lady is a teacher. The driver of that car is a teacher calling a Mexican or Hispanic police officer a racist. What's with education in this country today? I mean, we find it countless times. We talked to an officer today who was ranting, just saying, I can't believe how my relationship with the community, which started when I was a Marine and now as I'm an officer, has deteriorated over the last year or two. The academies are not filling up. Places like Philadelphia can't even fill uh, their force. People are retiring, and now they're leaving in June. Look for a mass retirement in June, despite 200% increase in homicides in New York. Because they had overtime last year with all the riots, they've had it. They want to leave on a high, they get that pension, so they're going to start mass resigning in June. And guess what? There's a certain segment of our society that couldn't be happier, because including our former president, Barack Obama, who now wants to reimagine police, imagine a world in a city without police. They can live there. We'll go to a place that backs law enforcement like Texas, Florida, uh, in South Carolina, and then people can live in the wild, wild west where there is no rules, there is no law, where judges let you out even if you shoot somebody. And for that, if that conversation went on, it gets even more offensive. They said, I don't care what happens. You're always going to be Mexican and you're never going to be white. What does that have to do with yeah. it? And with that, that person's teacher's name might be revealed shortly. We're trying to get their side of the story first, and then we're going to get Good. that person's name. And then go to the union. Go to the teacher's union. Is that woman who made that racist rant, is she still a member of the union in good standing? Uh, that's a question to ask, isn't it? I'm what sure. is with this union? Oh, I'm it's exasperated. I, I'm having a bad day because this, this really upsets me. Kids are not learning. Right? Police are reviled. There's violence in the streets. And this administration does nothing about it. My final thought is this. I'm Last used to people on the outside, yeah. Al-Qaeda, China, Russia, trying to take America down. Jealousy in the European Union. I never thought I'd see a time when we're being taken down from the inside. 
and it's up to true Americans to stand up. Forget your party and just do what's right for a change. And we're seeing it with people like Bill Maher, way to the left, who's seeing a lot of this stuff go on, doesn't want to tolerate it. My hope is that there's a lot of sober-minded people watching us and listening to us right now, Stuart, that have just about had it. I think they have. Brian Kilmeade, excellent. Thanks for joining us. We hope to see you again real soon. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Stuart. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. I'll build about uh, what we were just saying in terms of uh, these these teachers and not going back to school and using the pandemic as a way to avoid going back to school and the president of the United States not even committing to uh, forcing all these teachers to go back to school. I want you to hear what Byron York said when this surfaced about the communication between the CDC and the union, Cut 13. We have been talking for a long time about how the Democratic candidates and then President Biden were in the pocket of the teachers union. But I think the New York Post story is really devastating because it does show you exactly how that works. And one of the worst parts about it is it is not unusual in Washington for lobbying groups to suggest language to government agencies. I mean, it, it happens. A lot of progressives think it's a really bad thing. Um, but this is this is a scientific agency, the CDC. And basically what we saw in the New York Post report was the actual cutting and pasting of language from the teachers union to CDC policy. And then with Anita Dunn, uh, you have a, a failure to say to affirmatively that schools will reopen. Byron York is 100 percent right. It is cutting and pasting from the teachers union to CDC documents. I thought we were supposed to follow the science. No, follow the money. Follow the money and the lobbying money. Teachers union gave it to the Democrats and now's their payback. We pay the price, though. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. We're going to be joined by one of the deep thinkers out in America right now you probably don't know much about, but should, Wilford uh, Riley. He's a professor, associate professor of political science at Kentucky State University, and author of books called Taboo, The Ten Facts You Can't Talk About, and Hate Crime Hoax. We're going to talk about race in America there, and I want to get a perspective from uh, just about everybody, and we'll discuss that, and of course, take your calls. Uh, so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It's paid for by making sure corporate America and the wealthiest 1% just pay their fair share. And I'm not anti-corporate, but it's about time they start paying their fair share. It's about making a choice. Uh, That is Joe Biden in your dreams. $4 $4 trillion. That's the word from the GOP on Biden's $4 trillion infrastructure and family spending plans. If you think they will vote for this spending palooza while also getting them to sign off on a huge tax increase and pay fa- pay your fair share, forget it. Which brings me to the president. Why does he not pay his? Do you know he made $13 million in a joint return and tax returns? Do you know that he one used some loopholes? To avoid forming an S-Corp, to avoid paying Social Security tax, as well as Medicare tax, and save $500,000? Hey, do your patriotic duty, Mr. President. Pay your fair share. Number two. The president has been uh, committed to the refugee program and to rebuilding it. 
We know how to do this, and it takes time. Here we are on May 3rd uh, in a dramatically different um, situation. As you hear, thousands continue to stream across our nation uh, into our border illegally, and the president is unwilling to stop it. He did not even visit the border when he gave the assignment out to his VP who hasn't visited the border in 42 days. However, the president does find time to cave to the squad and increase refugee emissions from 15 to 62,000. We are truly light years from America first. Number one. The science has been clear for a long time. School's been safe for a long time. We're being told they're waiting for the CDC guidelines. What's going on is that the largest teachers union, they're directly involved in, you know, helping to steer the science and being 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 part of this process. Uh, yeah, it's true. Adam Laxalt weighing in, the former attorney general of Nevada. Pandemic collusion. That's what's going on between the teachers union and the CDC to keep our kids out of school. The details will outrage you as we are reopening, even the blue state beginning to reopen. And now we see that schools will not commit to reopening from sea to shining sea. And we finally see why. Okay. Look, we're starting to get on the other side of COVID 19. A lot has to do with the fact that we got the vaccine. Did a great job coming up with it. It's the best vaccine in the world. China has theirs. It sucks. Uh, Russia has theirs. You can keep it. You, India has theirs. It's not going ha- to be. India, it looks like Hades. And I feel so terrible for the world's largest democracy. But for some reason, they thought it was over. They thought their vaccine was successful. They make a lot of vaccines, but they didn't find a way to give out that vaccine. We had our own problems when this pandemic first started. I'm not judging. I'm just saying. We are on the other side of this. Cases down 27%. Deaths down 10%. And you see the numbers plummeting on a daily basis. My fingers are crossed it continues, and it will, unless, of course, they're lying to us about the effectiveness of the vaccine. Now we're looking at 50 uh, 50 percent of the country has gotten one shot uh, and 30 percent has 50 uh, percent. Uh, yes, 50 percent has got one shot and 30 percent has at least 30 uh, uh, percent is fully vaccinated. So things are going well. Numbers are going down. States like Alabama, North Carolina, Florida, Texas reopening at a breakneck pace. Even New York and New Jersey beginning to open up big time. So why can't we get a commitment to open up the schools? Why not? Why? Because it was all the all the answers came on Sunday when the Freedom of Information Act was published in the New York Post and was finally fulfilled when we got communication between the CDC and teachers unions with the teachers unions language for not reopening or reopening at their pace was able to trump and be a part of the science science release of what the dangers were with this pandemic as it unfolded. Remember, if you just listened to the February 3rd broadcast, Dr. Rochelle Walensky in her wherever she is, her undisclosed location, looking down because she can't afford a prompter, said this, cut to. There is increasing uh, data to suggest that schools can safely reopen and that that safe reopening does not um, uh, suggest that teachers need to be vaccinated in order to reopen safely. I would also say that um, safe reopening of schools is not, um, that vaccination of teachers is not a prerequisite for safe reopening of schools. Okay, but 80% got vaccinated. They were a priority. Isn't that great? Why aren't they back in schools when they said, well, the six feet's the problem? They said, well, to tell you the truth, we did some studies. We don't know where the six feet came from. You know where it came from? The 1918 accepted collective thought. Then they looked at it and said, yeah, uh, look at the way this thing aerosols. Not really. Three feet. So now the city schools that are very tight on space, they could do it. Now they have extra money to buy the plexiglass. They should have it. But they're not doing it. 
So 30% of the country is in a hybrid or stay-at-home model. Some of it says you can go to school, two and a half hours. I don't count that. Some say you can go to school, but your teachers are going to be at home. Why is that? Because the teachers union, for some reason, 10,000 public school districts across the country, many of which are controlled by these unions, uh, are less likely to open up their doors for in-person instruction. And why are Democrats putting up with it? Why is Anita Dunn saying that the president won't commit to it? Remember, she said this on Sunday as the president key advisor. He said probably. He didn't say absolutely. But given the science, if the vaccination program in this country proceeds, if people do go get their vaccines, there, he does believe that schools should be able to reopen in September and reopen safely following the CDC guidelines. But he said probably. He said did not say absolutely, because we've all seen this since, unfortunately, January of 2020. It's an unpredictable virus. You're ridiculous. You are absolutely, Anita Dunn is ridiculous. And for the president to say that is unacceptable. And when you want to know why he's saying it, look at the money. They used to give, they gave $4.3 million in 2004, these two consolidated teachers unions to consolidated Democratic causes. Do you know what they give now? 43.7 over the course of 2020. $43 million. No wonder Randy Weingarten is, is interacting directly with the CDC director talking about verbiage. I mean, you'd be sickened when you see the way these guys are talking to each other. One is the teaching. The CDC start telling teachers how to conduct third grade al- or seventh grade algebra. No one would accept that. Why are we accepting this? To an administration that told us to follow the science because the last one didn't. Cut one. Safely reopened the majority of the K-8 through schools was one of my top priorities in my first 100 days because there's so much that happens when they don't have the certitude and the, and the and the companionship and the familiarity. I can't even listen to him meander on. We know what happens because most people listening are grandparents, parents, or our kids in school or lucky enough to be driving right now to school and go, yeah, I, 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 I learn off my laptop or pretend to. I look down during tests when tests are going on. They can't even tell where my eyes are. I'm able to get the money right out of the tag, get the answers right out of the textbook. Or I shut off the screen. And I run out to Dunkin' Donuts because it's gym time and I don't have to do gym. Or it's the same boring lecture and I read the textbook last night. They will never know. That's what's going on. Kids will get away with what they can get away with. And in some cases, the ones who want to learn just know that they can't. And just to see this interaction uh, between these, uh, between both, uh, both bodies is really nuts. I really encourage you to come and look at some of these uh, interactions. So listen to some of these letters. We are immensely grateful for your genuine desire to earn our confidence. This is the teachers union to uh, Walensky and your commitment to partnership. Really? Uh, Email show call uh, Walensky, who's a CDC director and Weigarten, who runs the uh, runs the teachers union, uh, essentially say the AFT has demanded special remote and work concessions for teachers who have documented high risk conditions or who are in uh, increased risk for COVID-19. Uh, the staff who have a household member also don't have to go if you have to come back and somebody else is uh, a better chance for uh, getting the disease. So they looked at all this interaction and how they took the exact verbiage from the union suggestion to the medical document. Dr. Monica Gandhi, a professor of medicine of all places, University of California in San Francisco, wrote expensive, extensively in detail about the virus, called this whole interaction 
Very, very troubling. Remember, this is San Francisco. What seems strange to me is there would be this very intimate back and forth, including phone calls, where the political group gets to help formulate scientific guidance for our major public health organization in the United States. Can you imagine Jake Tapper and Rachel Maddow if this came exposed that your kids are not in school, third graders will never learn, sixth graders will never be able to make up this time because politics have entered into science? Can you imagine that? Listen to some of the kids Tell the president what a waste of time this is. Cut five. When we're like really tired, then we can you know, take a little nap. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes when he was like paying attention to something else, you could eat and it was fun. If you don't know the question, you can like your legs is I didn't like commercial. You didn't? No. No. I liked it. Hmm. One person liked it. The other kid wants to take a nap. The other person said you could shut off the camera and eat. Miranda and others just said they hated it. By the way, the kids hate it. They're not learning. Miranda Devine, New York Post. She's all over this. you got to read her columns. Cut 11. This is the foremost institution in this country responsible for dispensing health advice at a crucial time as we're coming mm. out of a pandemic. And it's been corrupted in this way by the teachers' unions, uh, you know, which are have power and sway over the Democratic Party. And that's a very scary situation. Instead of being the independent arbiter of the science and, uh, you know, allowing the American people to trust the CDC to dispense advice based just on science, uh, we see that they are, in fact, influenced by a very strong lobby group. And I've said this before, and I said it on television this morning. If you're 78 years old and the leader of the country, I know you got $40 million. You didn't have to ask for it. Teachers unions just bank on you guys, you Democrats. Mr. President, stand up and just say, I care about the kids. I care about my grandkids. I see in those kids me. As a kid that was hyper, wanted to jump around in class, and I couldn't imagine being at home on a laptop. We wouldn't be able to afford it. You tell us all these sob stories about your dad losing his job and having to go to another city. You tell the same story over and over again. Can you imagine if you couldn't go to school and you got to sit home and didn't have a laptop to learn with, right? What would happen to you? Why don't you stand up to the unions and say, I demand you get people back to school. Don't make me look like a liar. I care about the American kids more than I care about getting money into a focus group, a study group, a super PAC. Trey Gowdy, Cut 12. The lesson here, Brett, is follow the science. Unless a really large political constituency that provides lots of money to your election tells you otherwise. I mean, if you're going to follow the science, follow the science that says kids are being hurt whether it's socialization, nutrition, you name it, they're being hurt by being out of the classroom. So, uh, look, they, they sh- in South Carolina, my wife's a school teacher, Brett. She's been in the classroom the entire year. I find it stunning that there are kids that are still not in the classroom. The, and what a better example. You got a lawyer, a politician, former politician, commentator, whose wife's a teacher and knows the danger. I mean, if, if Trey Gadd is like 50, or his wife is 50, she knows other 50-year-old teachers. So, you know, technically, not out of the woods. You're not a 20-year-old robust triathlete. You could be susceptible to it. But you go to school. That's what you do. 
And I think teachers are being held hostage by unions because 99.9% of my teachers are fantastic, dedicated. They don't do it for the money. They make an impact. You see them years, years later, and they're so interested in how you're doing, which makes the bad ones stand out so much. If every other one was terrible, you wouldn't even think about it. So I'm not putting teachers and saying you're the problem. I'm saying the unions are the problem. And I also know in reality you can't really say no to the unions. So – uh, when it comes to the border crisis, it is ugly. You had 2,600 uh, come across our border over the weekend in the Rio Grande Valley. A 1,600 uh, come across over in Yuma. We don't have facilities for it, but we're beginning to take the unaccompanied minors and sending them into the infrastructure, into the interior of our country. That's how bad this is. Alejandro Mayorkas is trying to tell us, as a Homeland Security Secretary, that things are getting better. Cut 16. The president has been... Uh, committed to the refugee program and to rebuilding it. We had to start a humanitarian process while we rebuilt the system in its entirety. We know how to do this, and it takes time. Here we are on May 3rd uh, in a dramatically different um, situation. Yeah, it's still terrible. You had all-time high, 170,000 over in March, and it's somewhat going down just a little bit, but it's not stopping. As long as you continue to say, if a kid comes here by themselves, they get to stay, they're going to keep coming here. Why they don't understand that, don't understand. Listen, when I come back, I do want to talk about infrastructure and why I think the deal is DOA. Joe Manchin will make sure of it. It means they got to read across the aisle. If he wants $800 billion, I get, think he gets it. If he wants $2 trillion, he doesn't. Will he hold out for $2 trillion? Does he have an ounce of bipartisanship in his body? You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show, one 408 7669 Then we talk about the reality of race in America. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. This really just confirms what we knew all along, that the whole school reopening debate has been more to do with political partisanship and power dynamics than safety and the needs of families. And we found, looking over 10,000 public school districts in the, across the country, that places with stronger teachers unions were statistically and substantially less likely to reopen their doors for in-person mm -hmm. instruction, even after controlling for demographics in the area, politics in the area, and even COVID risk in the area. We also found that there was no statistically significant relationship between the reopening decisions and the risk of the virus in the area. Unbelievable. Uh, let's go out to Sean. Listen, WHIO in Ohio. Hey, Sean. Hey, Brian. How we doing? Good. You don't think there's any reason not to go back to school, right? Not even a little bit. Come and on. The fact that yeah. we're not in school yet, I really think is uh, unprofessional and unfair to the children. Of course, mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't see any legitimate reason at all why we we're, we don't have our kids back in school. What's the story in your town in Ohio? Uh, most of them are back in school, good. so that that part's good. Um, Full time, still under all the other uh, CDC uh, recommendations, though. But we'll get through that. And, and just knowing how politicized this is, I want I'm not even gonna. I, I don't want any part of what the CDC says. What kills me is that they're getting a pass, 
Everything, everything Redfield said under Trump, everyone's like, oh, Trump pressured him. But under uh, Walensky, we see her change her mind. When she, she said, when she said something they didn't want, they said she's just speaking for herself. Diane in Georgia. Hey, Diane. Diane, what do you think? Um, I'm, I'm a former teacher. Uh, I'm medically disabled. Right. And I see what's going on right now, and I wonder, and it, it, it's a dilemma for me. It would be for me if I were still teaching. It would be a moral dilemma for me to stay out of class and let these kids go a year without being te- taught self-respect, That's what I th- respect for others. I know, um, Diane, it's unbelievable, let alone school. For these kids that don't really get one good meal a day, it's at school. They're not getting that now. So, and listen, I think teachers being held hostage by this union, I don't know really what to do about it if I was a teacher, because it's the only way to keep a job and get a job. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A fast as three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A black senator said that America's not racist. Seem a little strange to me. Now, everybody in America is not racist. But are you talking about whether the practice of America is racist or the people? Because the practice of America was built on racism. All right, here we go again. Professor Wilford Riley joins us now. He's an associate professor of political science, Kentucky State University, author of the books Taboo, Ten Facts You Can't Talk About, and Hate Crime Hoax. Uh, Professor, welcome back. We need you now. Where do you stand with Al Sharpton here? Well, I've I've never spent much time uh, standing with Al Sharpton. I do think it's interesting to hear Al Sharpton condemn uh, you know, the provoking of racial conflict because he started, by my count, uh, two race riots in the past, although back in the 80s, early 90s. Uh, in general, I, I think the actual discussion about whether the USA is a racist country is an interesting one. I, I would say no. But as a political scientist, there are three separate things that could mean. It could mean, and this is what it normally means to serious people, that the USA has some kind of law that mandates or even allows racism. And that's just not the case. I mean, the Civil Rights Act passed in 1964. All racial discrimination is civilly or criminally against the law. A lot lot of these quote-unquote woke guys seem to forget that. Um, At a second level, the USA being a racist country could mean that identical black or Asian citizens are treated dramatically worse than white citizens. And you sometimes find evidence of that if you look at certain aspects of policing, but generally not. I mean, seven of the 10 richest groups in the country are minority populations, Asian Americans, I believe Nigerian Americans, so on. And third, that could simply mean that there are racist people in the country and that there are more than a few of them. And that's true, but that's true of every country on earth. So a lot of language like this is intentionally confusing. No, I don't think in any real legal sense we are a racist country. We haven't been segregated since 1954, at least officially, so on down the line. So a lot of this is prompted by the fact that Tim Scott wrote, I thought was an extremely effective and delivered extremely effective rebuttal. And you never remember the rebuttal. I don't care if it's a Democrat or Republican after the president. But Joe Biden gives a speech and Tim Scott did some biography. Hey, let Mm -hmm. me just tell you what we were able to accomplish in four years for minorities in terms of wages gained and jobs gained. And now let me tell you what problem I have 
with the with uh, with Joe Biden's speech. Okay, and then let me just add my experience. I don't think America is a perfect country. I'm a I'm an African American who grew up and it was pulled over quite a few times because I was black, in my opinion, uh, even by the Capitol Police a few times. I'm a sitting senator. I get it, but he says we're not a racist country. And here's a little of that speech. Hear me clearly. America is not a racist country. It's backwards to fight discrimination with different types of discrimination. And it's wrong to try to use our painful past to dishonestly shut down debates in the present. So Kamala Harris, the next day professor, was asked about this. Uh, Are we a racist country? No, I don't think America is a racist country, but we also do have to speak truth about the history of racism in our country and its and its existence today. And I, I applaud the president for always having the ability and the courage, frankly, to speak the truth about it. He spoke what we know from the intelligence community. One of the greatest threats to our national security is domestic terrorism manifested by white supremacists. And so these are issues that we must confront. And it doesn't, it does not help to heal our country, to unify us as a people, to ignore the realities of that. Okay. I gave you a lot there. Do you want to start with Senator Scott? Sure. Uh, I think a lot of this is – so, again, I, I agree with you. I thought Scott gave a good, effective speech. And that, that gets into the distinction that I think we both just agreed on between is racism mandated in the country? No. You know, is racism even legal in the country? No. But are there racist people just like there are cocaine users? Yes. So Tim Scott is saying that he has encountered – racism from time to time. He discusses it in business in the South on occasion. If you read some of the things he's written, he says he's pulled over a little too often. Although I'd wonder how many members of the Capitol Force are, are Caucasian. But I mean, so he, he's pointing out that he's experienced racial incidents. That doesn't necessarily mean the country on average is racist. It doesn't mean that the country has not allowed him to succeed to roughly the same extent that a white friend with the same qualifications would have. I mean, Tim Scott is a senator. Um, and when I, when I listen to Kamala Harris, and I, I thought her response there was fairly effective, but you're hearing a lot of this political play with words. You, you notice, of course, that Harris didn't disagree with Scott. I mean, she said, no, I, I don't think the U.S. That was overall refreshing. is. Yeah. <laughs> um, Biden didn't either. I mean, ne- neither of them, these elected officials, got up and said, no, I hate this country and it's a racist place, if only because of the reaction that, that would have brought to the table. But quite likely they, they believe this. So what Harris said is, OK, there are racist people in the country and we have some racist elements of our past. It's important to point out coming from kind of that political center right and we're talking on Fox. I don't think either of us disagrees with that. I mean, you can have a real conversation here. Of course, most countries were less civilized in the past. Sure. Of course, there are some bigots that remain to to be dealt with or that are just a part of life as poverty is. Sure. But that, that's very different from the – I guess this is my point. That's very different from the wacky hyperbole we hear today where people describe America in 2021 as genocidal or as white supremacist or something like this. Again, some of the – many of the most successful groups in the country are people of color. Scott is a senator. Kamala Harris is the vice president of the United States, and that's an odd kind of you know white supremacist patriarchy. It really is. Uh, I, from your perspective, Professor, I'm from Kentucky, wherever you travel, when, when you do your book tours, do you think white supremacy is the number one uh, terror threat in our country? 
Well, I mean, so first of all, I want to make a point here to everyone. Um, I originally am from Chicago, which is people joke about, you know, this is a dangerous region and so on. And when I came down to Kentucky, the impression a lot of my buddies fishing and so on had was that African-American or Italian-American guys were just driving down the street shooting off Tommy guns. Uh, no, we we have a crime problem in the city, but that's not what practical life is like. And my buddies in Chicago, the black and Italian guys, when I describe Appalachia, which is where I live now, it's another legendarily, quote unquote, dangerous region, you know, make jokes about deliverance, so on down the line. I mean, I live in the downtown of the capital city, incredibly pleasant place. So most of the panic that we feel, obviously, you don't want to go to you know, raves and trailer courts at 4 a.m., things like that. But most of the panic we feel about one another is not practically justified. White supremacy, what they're doing there is taking a very technical finding by elite law enforcement and making this seem like a national problem. So the the original comment is that if you look at domestic terror threats, i.e. eliminating the great foreign, quote-unquote, Arab terrorist group, so on, white supremacists would rank a bit ahead of, say, Antifa in terms of potential to do damage. That's probably true. But the total number of people that are going to be killed by either left-wing or right-wing terrorism, say both combined in a typical year, if you look at the riots last year, would be perhaps 50. You could throw in mass shooters, get to maybe 200. So obviously that's something law enforcement needs to work on. But no, I don't think at a practical level, as a black man driving around the country with a truck full of books, no, I'm, I'm not worried about being lynched or something like that. It, it sounds like a joke. It's no more or less dangerous than going back to Chicago and eating a good Italian meal. People, your your countrymen aren't waiting around the next corner looking to kill you. All right. So I get it. And let me just say, too, the one thing that keep, people keep bringing up is America, you know, shouldn't run from their racist past. That's part of social studies. Sure. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm Long Island. I, what I read, we, you know, I watched uh, Roots when I was in sixth grade. That was the number one miniseries. I think 100 million people watched it. Yep. Gave birth to nine superstars. Uh, out of that series it was brutal. It was horrific. I think it enlightened mainstream America before cable television. We're all watching the networks only. And everything mm-hmm. I heard about, the number one movies, um, uh, that we see it talks about this part of our past, but I think the one thing we take pride in is how much better we got. Now, we were watching late-night television over the weekend. I was watching on CNN, the history of late-night television. Dick Cavett was interviewing a sitting governor who said blacks and whites shouldn't be together. Next to Jim Brown, the, the number one personality, top personality, certainly best athlete of the century, on the same set. I mean, think about that. That would be something from Jerry Springer now. I got found a white person who doesn't believe whites and blacks should live together. So to say we haven't made progress is crazy. To say we haven't learned it, I will say this. Anybody listening who grew up in a working-class white area, we learned it. The, the, the horrors of slavery on down, Jim Crow on down, segregation on down, we learned it all. If, you even, if you're a sports fan following what Muhammad Ali went through, think about that. Jackie Robinson, number, it was a top movie for a while. You can't watch that and say, well, America was perfect in the 40s and the 50s. Yeah, I mean, I I, I tend to agree with you in that I think that right now what you see on the political left, just as on the extreme far right, is a bunch of politically motivated actors that are taking – not extraordinarily massive problems like lynching in 2021 America, you know, and using these for political gain, using these to secure power position. So I think when you talk about the actual issue, the non-exaggerated reality, I think most people would say there are some bigots in the country. 
And I think most people would say the USA has a past that includes some oppression and a great deal of, you know, the great races that make up this country fighting each other, the Indian Wars and so on down the line. And this is a complex history. I mean, some of the best fighters during the Indian Wars, like the Buffalo Soldiers, were black. People are all capable of brutality and atrocities. So I guess my point about this would be simply we should continue teaching American history warts and all. We shouldn't come up with the sort of fictionalized, if you look at the 1619 Project, all warts version of our own history. Because in addition to the empirical scientific problems with a lot of this, that's a crazy thing to do. Were, were there problems in the past? Sure. I guess one sentence, those should be taught in context. The, the sentence I use with students is America had brutal slavery when slavery existed everywhere in the world. And I understand the American Indians had slaves. Yeah, I mean, the Indian Wars, again, it's important to look at this realistically and honorably. So the USA conquered the land that belonged to the Indian tribes. And I mean, that, that's why reservations exist. and That's why apologies have been made. But actually looking at the Indian Wars reveals a pattern of back and forth raiding where the young men on both sides would, you know, get angry and intense, cross the border. What happened afterward would be absolutely brutal. And there was there was a response from the other group. And in the end, because there were more whites and blacks, the, the Indian tribes were defeated. And you can discuss that in great detail. And you can describe the things the two populations did to each other. That's very different from just saying some sort of nonsense like walking through downtown Chicago and saying, well, we took all this from the Indians. We're on stolen land. You know, so I favor honest, accurate history, political science, so on down the line. But when you actually do that, the USA is revealed to be badly flawed in some ways, but better than almost every other country on Earth. Our competition is Russia and Mexico and Britain, not heaven. I'll take it. <laughs> That's awesome. That is great. Nicole Hannah-Jones came up with the 1619 Project, which is full of errors. One thing they said, we fought the Revolutionary War to keep slavery because the British got rid of it in 1772. That is a flat-out uh, inaccurate, see, in my opinion. Let's listen to her describe her new job at University of North Carolina and why are people so upset with her 1619 views. I've been a little appalled by the silence uh, of free speech advocates as there these attempts to ban ideas from being taught in schools um, are being introduced all across the country. But in response to what he's saying, uh, I, of course, there's no single line or argument in the 1619 Project that claims that this country is an evil country. And uh, it's frankly a ridiculous assertion. So no, this isn't a project about trying to teach children that our uh, country is evil, but it is a project trying to teach children the truth about what our country was based upon. That which is pretty evil, slavery. If you believe our country is based on slavery, you think it you have to think it's evil. Well, the first of all, I'm not I'm not sure that evil is a useful descriptor, you know, outside of the church house when you're discussing politics. I mean, were the Aztecs good or evil? And what about the Romans? We learn from both of those great historical peoples. Um, but in in this case, I, I do feel the sixteen nineteen project empirically says things that at very least strongly imply the USA is a wicked country and that are often wrong. So, I mean, one of the famous quotes associated with at least the promotional materials for the 1619 Project is that racism is in America's DNA. Um, obviously, if something's in your DNA, that's genetic, that's heritable, you can't get rid of it. And to me, coming from that sort of practical business or quantitative science perspective, that that's almost nonsensical. I mean, again, in 1954, we desegregated the schools. 64, we passed the Civil Rights Act. Since 1967, we've had pro-minority affirmative action in place. So the idea that because 
the USA did bad things during a historical era when these weren't even considered bad. Women couldn't vote until 1920. We are permanently damned. I mean, I think that's wrong in scientific terms and more religious than anything else. Professor, I would uh, pay a lot of money to take your class. Uh, It's great talking to you. Professor Wilford Riley, Associate Professor of Political Science at Kentucky State, author of books Taboo, uh, Ten Facts You Can't Talk About, and Hate Crimes Hoax. Uh, Thanks so much, Professor. Always an education to have you on. Thanks. Always good to be back. You got it. 1-866-408-7669. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. I think it's time to find out if we need to know more. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D. So Molly Hemingway was there. Donald Trump attacked Joe Biden at a pro-life summit in Palm Beach, Florida on Monday. He ripped the 78-year-old as he headlined the Susan B. Anthony List event. Early on, Biden frenzy began the process of unraveling a Trump-era ban on clinics referring to women for abortions. So true. Next, Trump's favorability, unfavorability ratings nearly at the same level it was when he left office, about 45%. Joe Biden's at 56%. Uh, so there you go. Meanwhile, Mike Pence headed to New Hampshire in June, sparking more than 2024, 2024, excuse me. Pence will be heading to New Hampshire in June, sparking more 2024 buzz. No question about it. That is the first primary. There's no way he's not going to run, but he's not going to run if Trump runs. No kidding. Army vet Brian Mass blasts the Pentagon for denying a permit for Rolling Thunder event that honors fallen Americans. The event was put on by the American veterans, as you know, and vets, so to speak. Traditionally happens on Sunday, Memorial Day. Because of the coronavirus, they're not doing it. Quote from Mass, who lost both his legs in battle. The Biden administration's decision not to do this uh, flies in the face of freedoms that so many have died to protect. No kidding. What about the science? Outdoor. It's an outdoor event. It makes no sense. Let them have it. Oh, it's ridiculous. They're anti-military, flat out. Just wait to get that military budget. Uh, next, professors across the country about to cancel class and enable students, teachers, and other school personnel to strike in protest against campus police presence on campus reform. You believe this? They don't want police on campus in college. They should pull out right away. Who needs them? You know, good luck, students. I just want to know what they. who do they call if... God forbid something major happens and they need somebody to save their life. These, these ill-trained security guards who only have a uniform and no training. That's the portion. It makes no sense. Next, Britney Spears accuses the New York Times and BBC uh, pop documentaries of hypocrisy for slamming the press and then doing exactly the same. Britney has slammed documentaries of her life and makes her look bad. Here's the quote. Documentaries are so hypocritical. They criticize the media and then the, and they do the same thing. I don't know you all, but I'm thrilled to remind you all that although I've been some pretty tough times in my life, I've had way more amazing times in my life. And unfortunately, my friends, I think the world is more interested in the negative. It's true. Now people are writing that she might not be all there. She might have the beginning of Alzheimer's, which is crazy for someone that age. Uh, she's a mom, performer. She's going back to Vegas, going to make a zillion dollars. I'm going to watch one of these documentaries. It'll make me a better talk show host, I hope, and maybe a better pop singer. 
I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.